Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I suppose that there is nothing about the Christian message that is more objected to than this doctrine of the wrath of God against sin. This is the thing that you, you hear people all the time today talking about. Well, I just cannot believe in a God who would judge people. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 16, verse 1, in a message titled, The Wrath of the Lamb. Now, here's Pastor Brian. After these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chest girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So today I wanted to talk about the very challenging and difficult subject of the wrath of God. And to do that, I want to read one more passage to us beside what we started with. I want to read to you from Revelation, but going back to chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, and it says this, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So the wrath of God, this is one of those very challenging subjects that the Bible deals with. And so I thought it was important that we take some time and and look at it very specifically. As we've been going through Revelation, several manifestations of the wrath of God have been seen through the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and finally, uh, here in the 16th chapter, the seven bowls. And uh, in each one, beginning with the seals, then to the trumpets, then to the bowls, you have the, the totality of God's wrath that's going to be poured out at this period of time. And this will be the culmination of history as we know it. And in the seven bowls that are described here in Revelation 16, we are told that in them, the wrath of God is complete. So when we think about this subject of the wrath of God, I suppose that there is nothing about the Christian message that is more objected to than this doctrine of the wrath of God against sin. 
This is the thing that you, you hear people all the time today talking about. Well, I just cannot believe in a God who would judge people. You know, today we have a much louder atheistic voice that is reverberating in, in the culture. Uh, atheism, of course, has always been around. There have always been atheists. And, but atheism has been popularized in our time. Recently, you have a number of men who have kind of stepped up and they're speaking very loud about uh, the virtues of atheism and they've written some best-selling books. And, and of course, that stuff gets disseminated all throughout the culture. So we're hearing more and more conversation in the culture today about the things that atheists think are you know, the real key elements in their arguments against the existence of God. And right at the top of the list is this whole issue of God's wrath or judgment. And, you know, you read the literature or you listen to some of them in debate or whatever, and you will see that they not only mock and scoff at the idea, but they are actually outraged that anyone would even suggest that there is a God who judges people. That's kind of just where we're at in the culture in general. But you don't even have to go out into the culture to find it. You can find the same sentiments in certain segments of the church. Within the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking about the, the larger umbrella of what people perceive to be Christianity. As you look under there, that larger umbrella, you will find that there are many in the church who are opposed to this idea that God will judge people. These are the theologically liberal minds within the church, and they, they do their best to explain away what the Bible seems to be clearly saying. The Bible seems to be clearly saying that God is going to judge the world at a certain point, but they uh, seek to assure us that that's not really what it means. Uh, God is, is not going to do any such thing. Uh, they even go so far as to say that uh, the God that we find in the Old Testament is, uh, they, they've even used the term like a bloodthirsty tribal God who wasn't really a, a true God, and they contrast the Old Testament God with Jesus in the New Testament. They say, well, Jesus came and he taught us, he just taught us that love is the, the superior thing, and as long as we love, that's all that really matters, and there, there's no judgment that's coming at all, they would say. And they would even go so far as to say that the idea that there's a God who's going to judge was brought into Christianity uh, from the outside. Jesus didn't teach this, they say. They actually attribute this idea to Paul. They say, well, you know, it was Paul. Until Paul came along, everybody understood that the message of Jesus was just love each other and get along and do your best, and it's all going to be good. Then Paul comes along, they say, and he brought in uh, from his rabbinic background, he brought on in all of these superstitions about this idea that, like you have to have blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, and without that atonement, there's going to be a judgment, there's going to be a wrath. So what they try to do is they try to pit Jesus against Paul. And all of this happens within the context of, like I said, the larger umbrella of Christianity. Oftentimes, if it's, um, you know, maybe a, an article in a news periodical, or it might be, you know, something that you would see in a newscast, you know, occasionally there'll have a, 
a, a discussion about these kinds of things. And they'll bring in a, a theologian, a Christian theologian, and he'll be in full agreement that the idea that the wrath of God is completely absurd and there's no way that that's a reality. And, you know, this is all Paul messing it up. And, you know, Jesus didn't believe this or teach this. And, and we, we just hold on to what Jesus said. So this is the question. Were Jesus and Paul in disagreement over this subject? Did Paul borrow all of this stuff and, and bring it in and impose it on uh, the beautiful, loving message of Jesus? Well, let's just take a minute and look at a few of the things that Jesus himself said. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is, Jesus spoke about judgment. Jesus spoke about wrath. And it's inescapable that he did this. It's right there in the pages of the New Testament. But what so often happens is people, they're going to be selective. They're going to pick out the things that they like that Jesus said and say, well, this is what Jesus said. And the things that they don't like that he apparently said, they're going to say, well, Jesus didn't really say that. That was just put into his mouth by his disciples. So we believe that Jesus said it all. He, of course, talked about the love of God, the grace of God, but he also talked about the other side of the coin, the reality of judgment. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking. This is what he says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Those are the words of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, the ninth chapter, Jesus said this, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better to live life maimed than to have your whole body cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. In probably the most famous passage in the New Testament, John chapter 3, 3.16 specifically, even there, Jesus warns about judgment. Listen to what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now listen to this. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already. Jesus talks about eternal punishment that wasn't originally intended for man, for the devil and his angels, but he says that there will be men that experience it. Jesus talks about this being such a severe reality that whatever's causing you to sin, if it's your, your hand or your foot or your eye, you'd be, you'd be better off to live without it than to be cast into the hellfire. And then here in John 3, he talks about condemnation. So clearly the liberals have got it wrong. But yet, on the other hand, it's not to say that the doctrine of the wrath of God isn't a difficult doctrine. You know, honestly, if you've never been troubled by this idea of God's judgment, his wrath, if you've never been troubled by the idea that there's such a thing as eternal punishment, if you've never been troubled by it, you've never really thought about it. Because when you think about it, it is troubling. It really is. So we can't uh, just, you know, glibly 
dismiss those who are troubled by it. We have to face it head on and realize, yes, this is indeed a troubling doctrine. It is troubling because it goes against the grain of our fallen nature. And I think, honestly, if left to our own reason, uh, we would no doubt want to rid ourselves of that idea. But you see, this is why God gave us a Bible. He gave us a Bible to tell us things that we need to know that we wouldn't conclude on our own, things that we would naturally want to dismiss. He had them written down in plain words so we could know that whatever we feel about the issue, it doesn't really matter. It's what God has said in his word. And so he said clearly in his word that as difficult as it might be for us to accept, this is a reality. Now, those who reject the idea of the wrath of God, I think generally speaking, they do so on or, or for two reasons. I think it comes down to this. Number one, we do not, as people generally, we do not grasp the holiness of God. We just do not understand in some senses who God is and, and what his holiness is all about. You see, we tend to oftentimes think of God kind of like just a, a, a larger version of ourselves. But that's the wrong way to view God. And when we see God for who he really is, we realize that, that when the Bible says God is holy, what it's talking about, amongst other things, is that God is of such moral purity that we could not survive a second in his presence. That, that's really what the holiness of God is all about. The Bible tells us that God dwells in the light that no man can approach. And the light there is not talking about physical light. It's really a reference to moral light. It's, it's a reference to the fact that God, God is holy. And God is so holy that to try to step into his presence would be immediate destruction for me. I, I would be consumed instantly in the presence of God. We don't realize that about God. We often think of him with uh, far less understanding than we should about those things. So that's one problem. The second problem is we underestimate the sinfulness of man. We constantly underestimate the sinfulness of man, especially our own sinfulness most of the time. You know, we agree that we're sinners. We understand that, at least people who are Christians. But even as Christians, isn't it true that, you know, we don't see ourselves necessarily for how evil we really are. We think that, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. <laughs> but you know what? The truth of the matter is that you're every bit as bad. We're, we're all made of the same stuff. And the heart, the human heart, according to God, is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. It is incurably sick. It is so bad. The case is so bad. We can't even know how bad it is. That's what the Lord said. Who can know it? The answer is we can't know it ourselves. But I, the Lord, search the heart. You see, God's the one. He's the doctor. He's the one that's going to diagnose the problem, not us. And he tells us that our hearts are incurably wicked. Now, most people, most people, not everybody, but, but most people still today understand that there's such a thing as justice. Most people understand that, you know, when crimes are committed, there needs to be justice meted out. 
And just like we expect that from our legal authorities, just like we expect when a criminal goes before a judge and has truly committed crimes, we expect the judge to sentence that person to pay for that. We shouldn't stop there. We need to take the step further and recognize it's, it's the same thing on the higher level between God and man. But, but that is, I think, one of the, the roots of the problem that we fail to realize God's holiness on the one hand, human sinfulness on the other. It's as J.I. Packer stated, we are modern people and modern people, though they cherish great thoughts of themselves, have as a rule, small thoughts of God. So we don't think of God properly. And so when we think of him being a judge, we, we somehow, we, we're, we bristle at that. But if we understood who he was, we wouldn't. Now, Having said all of that, and now as, as we move toward talking about this subject of wrath, because again, as we're going through Revelation, of course, that's the, the, the chapters that we've been in, that's really the theme of these chapters, the wrath of God that is coming upon the earth. But as we look more closely at the subject, the first thing that we need to understand when we think about it is that wrath is not as some people mistakenly think, this is not God's first choice. We need to understand that about God. See, there's nothing in God in his very nature that necessitates that, that he demonstrate wrath. You see, wrath is not a divine attribute. When you look at God, God has various attributes. The Bible says that God is holy. That's an attribute of God. God is righteous. God is just. God is gracious. He's merciful. All these things would be attributes of God. Wrath is not one of God's attributes. Wrath is the response of holiness and righteousness to evil. So you see, were there no evil, there would be no wrath in God. So it's important to understand that. Some mistakenly think that, that wrath is part of God's nature. Therefore, he, he must show wrath. No. God is forced to show wrath because of evil. But wrath, which is the outworking of his righteous anger, is something that God is reluctant to do. He's reluctant to do it. And this is the first thing that we need to understand when we come to this conversation that we might end up having with people at work or our neighbors or family members. We need to understand, first and foremost, you know, this isn't... God's first choice. When God comes to a place of actually judging somebody, it's that every other option has been exhausted. That's the case. Because God is slow to anger. And that is stated over and over and over again. And it's stated mostly in the Old Testament, believe it or not. It's stated in the Old Testament. Some people say, oh man, the God of the Old Testament is just so wrathful, just punishing people all the time and judging everybody. You know, read the Old Testament again. That's not really what's happening. You find in, in the Old Testament, some of the most amazing statements about God's mercy and his grace are found in the Old Testament. The reason why it seems like the Old Testament is so full of wrath is because we're reading a history that goes for 3,500 years, and 
It's a history with people who are in rebellion to God for the most part. So much of the, the history is taken up with God trying to bring the people to their senses so they don't have to go under judgment. But let's not mistakenly think what some people say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. It's not true. Let me just show you from the Old Testament itself that God is a God who is merciful and gracious. Nehemiah 9.17, Nehemiah is praying to God, and this is what he says. He says, but you are a God ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Joel 2.13, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And now this one is the most amazing to me because this is found in Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2. Many of us know who Jonah is, right? He's the guy that got swallowed by the fish. Listen to what Jonah says. Jonah says, he's speaking to God. He says, therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful. You're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. What is this about? What is the context of this? Jonah is saying to God, the reason why I refused to go to Nineveh and I got on that ship is because I knew that there was a chance that you would forgive the Ninevites because you're gracious and you're merciful and I didn't want you to forgive them. I wanted you to destroy them. That's, that's Jonah's explanation for why he ran away from God. Because I know you're gracious and merciful and I know that I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna tell them to repent. You're gonna forgive them. You're not gonna wipe them out. Jonah knew, even though his own heart was set on judgment toward the Ninevites, he knew that that was not the case with God. God is slow to anger. So the tribulation period that we're reading about as we're going through these portions of Revelation here, listen, the tribulation is the culmination of ages and ages of man's revolt and rebellion against God and the refusal to repent. You see, we have to see it in the context. So all of this judgment that we're reading about, it's when every other option has been exhausted. This is where we come to. Now, I had the most amazing illustration of this come to me just over the past couple of days. You know, throughout the week, I, I, you know, thinking about the message and I'm kind of, you know, going over in my mind different things that I want to put down as we come to this time to to look at the issue. Uh, I picked up a book a couple of days ago, and as I was reading through the book, I did not expect to find such an amazing illustration of the very point that I'm making here, but I did indeed find it. I picked up a book a couple of days ago. The book is called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens. Now, for some of you, that name means nothing. For others, you would know that Christopher Hitchens was until his death in 2011, he was the world's most notorious atheist. He was the, the loudest, the most vocal, and in some senses, maybe the most obnoxious of what, what are called the new atheist. In 2007, Christopher wrote a book called God is Not Great. And just like Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, it became a bestseller. 
For the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady. Have you ever prayed to God only to feel like he didn't answer your prayers? Or have you ever wondered, if God can help me, then why doesn't he help me? Many have faced this exact barrier at one point in their life, both Christians and non-Christians alike. Well, in his book, The God I Won't Believe In, Nick Cady addresses this very topic that has hindered so many during different stages of life and that are hindering many today. If you want to understand what the Bible reveals about this topic or other barriers to embracing Christianity, you need to get this book. The book, The God That I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.